so much of writing is for yourself because most of the writing you do, no one else ever sees. So deciding what is for yourself and what is for the world <laughs> and what is actually a valuable asset in the world um, is sometimes hard. Welcome to Voices of the Future. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. In this series, I'm interviewing young writers and poets from Maine, all of whom have participated in programs of The Telling Room, a nonprofit writing center in Portland. The Telling Room's mission is to empower youth through writing and to share their voices with the world. All of the authors in the series are featured in A New Land, an anthology of 30 poems written at The Telling Room. When I read or hear the work of these writers, I am moved by their enthusiasm, skill, and courage. Some of them were born in Maine, others have come here from Africa and the Middle East. I'll speak with urgency about their lives and their futures. Siri Pierce graduated from Casco Bay High School and now she's a student at Brown University. In this episode, Siri and I talk about using poetry to grapple with mortality. First, she reads her poem, Plastic Palaces. My name is Siri Pierce. Plastic Palaces. One summer, I met a 17-year-old angel. She had a halo of burnt red hair and wore a green and gold bikini. She pressed a button and the garage door to heaven creaked upwards and away. Inside were bins of dolls and clothes, plastic palaces, and a big shiny suburban. Everything I wanted when I was eight. Together, we fought sandstorms, became mermaids, and drank peach iced tea. One day, I made a ferocious tiger out of orange marker and black velvet. I bedazzled the bluest waves of the bluest water on my mosaic. Another day, I got a book and read it to the last page. I never finished books back then. I was in the land of yeses. I knew the angel for a week. My mom called it babysitter camp. After that, I almost forgot about her. Third grade came, sparkly jump ropes, albatrosses, cursive, and capitalism. I still played with the dolls she gave me, but I had moved on. I didn't hear about her again until sixth grade. The news came in a text. A whole life gone, captured in the ding of a cell phone. Plastic palaces collapsed. I'd always known she was an angel with her halo of burnt red hair. Oh, thank you. So how old were you when you wrote that? I was a freshman in high school. Where did you go to high school? I went to Casco Bay High School. And this was based on a real-life event? Yeah, uh, it's based on a week I spent with my babysitter when I was eight. And uh, she dies. Yes, she actually um, committed suicide. Um, she suffered from depression. And um, I'd known that she'd suffered from depression when I was um, with her that week. I mean, this whole poem is kind of about, even though I never directly talk about the fact that she committed suicide, it's kind of just a um, 
I th- I don't know it was just a pivotal moment for me in my life and how kind of the transition from youth to taking everything more seriously and going from kind of the plastic palaces and the fantasy and the imagination that comes with youth and transitioning into middle school and I think you really capture like the um like a older kid is like a different species almost when I was first starting to think about it it was just a week that had stuck with me so much and so when the news came it was so shocking to me I kind of had to grapple with both experiences both finding out and the week itself for a really long time and I had to write about it it was like there was something that I had had to work through um, and process um, through writing. And the whole central theme of the poem kind of addressing how, in some sense, I never saw her as a real person. So what was so shocking to me is when I found out she was real almost when she passed away. She, even though I knew she was a real person, like I knew the struggles she was going through, my parents had talked to me. Like I remember during the week she'd had, I'd stayed with her mom while she went to therapy um, and things like that. So I had tiny glimpses like out of, out of the fantasy world that I was living in, but I kind of ignored them in a sense. So I think I really had to come to terms with reality and see not just the halo of burnt red hair, but see the actual complexities of her life and complexities of being in the world. Right. Did you write that at the telling room? I wrote it independently, but I edited it with the telling room. Did somebody give you a writing prompt or you just knew you wanted to write about this? It was actually in response to the telling room's theme of encounters. Every year they put together an anthology centered around a theme. And the theme that year was encounters. And I remember wanting to submit something to the anthology and play around with that theme. And I was thinking about it for a while and trying to think about meaningful encounters that I'd had. And I I think when I hear the word encounter, I very much associate it with brevity, even though that's not necessarily always the case. Encounters can be long um, and in-depth, but I was just trying to think of someone or something that had come into my life and then exited it just as quickly. Um, and so it was kind of, it became very clear to me that this this was what I needed to write about. So once, once you heard the theme, it was like uh, you knew. What was that journey like? Do you remember? Yeah, I think why this poem is so focused focused on images is because that's very much how my memory works. I have moments that I see very clearly, and I think there were some images from this week that still to this day, like when I read it, I can see what it was back then when I was actually there. There was so much newness in the week. She was, she exposed me to a lot of I don't know, like we watched Aquamarine, a movie um, about mermaids that I'd never seen before. And it was maybe a little older than what I would have watched with my parents. 
she wore a bikini, which was this, oh my goodness, look, she's a teenager, like something that, I mean, these were the days of when I was watching Disney Channel and watching all of these older girls walk through life with confidence and kind of this aura of just angelic, <laughs> angelic aura. <laughs> so spending a week with her, everything was new and exciting. Her, her, she had a sister and a mom and um, they had dolls that I'd never seen before and they drank peach iced tea, which I'd never had before. So there was so much newness and some, so much excitement uh, and all the n- objects, the physical objects and also the experiences that I had that week. Those were the first things I processed when I was writing it. Did the details come to you as you were writing? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, this poem still, as I read it, I'm like, oh, it's very listy, (laughs) Um, which I tend to do when I write, which I'm trying to work on. But I very much go through the details in my mind and see, oh, first we have, I remember the mermaids from Aquamarine, and I remember... Um, the little collage I made out of sparkly blue squares. And I remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that I read with her. And um, so I think those images are where I started. And then the story came from there. I mean, the, the central image of Plastic Palaces started as just describing what was in the garage. Um, and then I realized that it captured much more than just being a physical object, but it captured the fantasy and the temporary nature of everything. Mm-hmm. It's it's one week, but it's like all those all the details really give it a a presence, and then that it ends in mortality and somebody's death at a point in life when that's not supposed to happen makes all all those details like poignant because they're they're gone because you're older, but they're gone because she's dead too. In some ways, like a vanished world all around. Do you did you read this poem to a group at the telling room? Do you remember like what kind of response there was or what it was like? I've actually never read this poem or performed it or in any setting. I mean, all of my poems, not not all of them actually, but a lot of them are nonfiction, if that makes any sense. I tend to stay on the Plastic Palaces side before the Plastic Palaces collapse. So um, this was definitely a poem where I challenged myself to deal with darker themes, and I was a little nervous about sharing it with anyone. (laughs) When I sat down with Molly and a few um, of the publishing workshop students, um, and they were all incredibly kind, and um, I think the poem had resonated with them. It was more specific linguistic details that um, we went through and, and changed. Like, what would be a process like for them? Do they crit- they'll critique it, or they'll make... Do they... Yeah, they, they had um, made their notes and... Um, suggestions kind of on their individual sheets. And then I sat down and um, they all kind of went around and offered feedback. I mean, it was definitely an interactive. It wasn't just receiving feedback. I would talk to them, ask them questions, go through line by line. 
Um, and then I mean, deal with some of the more nitpicky things like, is that a period or a comma? Um, but also talk about structure and um, they definitely helped me organize it in a more logical way than it was. Before. And how did you like the, do you like the critique process? I think my parents would say that I rely too heavily on the feedback process. Um, I'm definitely someone who doesn't trust her own writing, like as it stands. Um, I tend to never share anything with anyone until I have a second pair of eyes on it, um, which can sometimes be a good or bad thing. I really enjoy receiving feedback. I definitely am working on not just taking feedback passively, but kind of actively considering what my intention was before just taking the feedback. So my voice stays. This was definitely an experience where I felt like their suggestions really were beneficial to the writing and only strengthened my voice rather than yeah. diminished it. Trusting the writing is always harder, especially when you branch out and try new styles and try new um, techniques. Then you have to <laughs> reevaluate your writing in a different way. And um, definitely there are doubts in there, especially when so much of writing is for yourself, because most of the writing you do, no one else ever sees. Um, so I've written a lot of things that I've just pushed to the side and said, that's not for me anymore. And deciding what you show to the world and what you share with the world. I mean, the Telling Room's great at providing platforms for students to share their voices, whether on podcasts or through performances or through um, their anthologies. So deciding what is for yourself and what is for the world <laughs> and what is actually a valuable asset in the world um, is sometimes hard. And so you're going off to college, you're going off to Brown? Yes. And so you wrote you wrote that four years ago? Yes. So what what kind of writing have you been doing since then? I definitely don't write as frequently as I did back then, which has been difficult for me because I really rely on it as an outlet. Um, recently, I've been writing more, less poetry, which is what I did for a really long time, and more personal narrative and personal essays. So... Have you been writing since the quarantine and like mostly uh, narrative? Yeah, it's it's funny. I've it's hard to write in isolation, um, even though that's when I do my best writing too. I'm always by myself. I I like writing at the physical telling room, but I'll always prefer writing like in in my own space. It's been a little more difficult, even though there's so much to process in the world and so much to write about. It's equally difficult to continue to expose yourself to what's going on. And so I found myself leaning towards finding different forms of escape because instead of forcing myself to confront some of the things that have been going on and have make, been making life so much more difficult for so many people. Um, sometimes it was easy for me to escape in different ways. I also dance. Um, so that tended to be my preferable form of escape during quarantine. Um, or I started running, things like that, where I was very far removed from some of the anxious and sad <laughs> and frustrating thoughts that were going on in my mind. 
I tried to write, um, and I most of my writing had nothing to do with what was going on and was just kind of... Um, I, it's funny, I did a lot of looking back um, versus looking at the present and looking forward. Right, it's, it's so hard to even know what, what to look forward to. This poem in particular, like I was forced to work with something in my past that I hadn't necessarily actually processed in my mind, but I had to process it on paper. So I think writing really gives the opportunity to work with different things that are happening in the world around you and process it for yourself. Voices of the Future is hosted and conceived by me and produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum at Future Projects with help from Carly Perruccio. The music in this episode is by Jordan Kramer. The series is made possible by the Academy of American Poets with funds from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. To learn more about the Telling Room and its programs, visit tellingroom.org. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening.